Nothing's going your way, you've had a bad day, it's good to keep it simple. Michelle and Seth say take a deep breath from fade to gray, it's mental. Hello everyone, welcome back to Mental. You are sitting here with Seth and Michelle. We have a whole new series starting for you for the month of August. We did that whole imposter syndrome thing. We're done being imposters now. We have calmed <laughs> down. <laughs> uh, speak for yourself. <laughs> that All one. right. We're still imposters, but we are moving yes. on to a new subject matter. And it's a subject matter that I think a lot of people are probably pretty familiar with. Mm-hmm. We're going to approach it from a different perspective, however. We're going to start talking a little bit about power. Hmm. And yeah, there's lots of different definitions for that. So we're going to open up the conversation talking about power. But involved in that conversation, we also want to bring in the ideas of how it pertains to spirituality, how it pertains to our recognition of God, how it pertains to us functioning within a religious idealism. And then finally, we're going to close out the conversation on the subject of deconstruction. And I know that's a oh, term. I know, I know. That's a buzzword, Michelle. <laughs> it really is. But this is going to be a longer series because we're combining a couple different ideas. This is going to go through August and September. But there's some really good content here, things that maybe we, a lot of people have not you know, evaluated before. But I do still think it's important to talk about deconstruction, even though I know it's a buzzword. It, it is, of course, my area of study. So, of course, I'm still interested in it. <laughs> stuck <course>. with that <laughs> of course. for a while. Just stuck with that. But because it's not a begin it process and end it process, it's an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. Once you recognize deconstruction in your life, whether it's religious or not, you will begin to see that you continue to deconstruct regardless of where you are in life. It, it's an ongoing process at that point. So hold hold up. <laughs> so you mean that deconstruction is more than just religious deconstruction? Because when I yes. hear deconstruction, that buzzword, right? Um, right. I think of Christian deconstruction. And of I know course. a lot of people that don't want to talk about this. In fact, it, it actually makes them upset, which is yes. interesting because it's all about your journey with God in a way, but deconstruction is much bigger than, than just the religious aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I've said that plenty of times in different conversations, Uh, of course it, it is most widely known from that religious idealism perspective. However, there are going to be, there's a whole spectrum of events that can happen in deconstruction. You have people that merely are questioning whether they believe the Bible is infallible or not. Mm-hmm. All the way through to people questioning whether there's God or not. And then finally going so far as to say, who am I? And I really feel like that is a very healthy deconstruction. It's painful and often a long process, but I think it's it's beneficial. Is it a journey or do you kind of pick? So you mentioned some people, right, mm-hmm. may deconstruct um, whether the Bible is infallible or not. Right. To the point where some people may accept, you know, gays for going to heaven or something like crazy like that. (laughs) So 
there's a continuum here. Like there's yes. a there's a spectrum. It's like sexuality. There's a spectrum, but is it more the spectrum or is it a journey? In which case, once uh, you start, other things tend to fall. Well, I think that depends upon the individual, to be honest, I, because I do believe that the that this whole process of deconstruction is very subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's independent of a process, so to speak. It's independent of a task list. It changes depending on who's experiencing it. So you may feel like you're only starting, well, I just want to evaluate this one idea or belief within my Christian idealism or any religion for that matter. Mm-hmm. I just want to talk about one tenet. And before you know it, you're off to the races because if once a domino falls, they continue to fall. And, and so some people will go you know, along the full spectrum, others will stop. And, and I've actually said this, I I think I wrote it in the beginning of my book. Like I hold no one guilty that decides to stop along the way because it's a painful process. It's a painful journey. It's difficult. It's emotional. It does make you question your mental health sometimes. And so for sure. Yeah. So I have, I'm cool. If you have to take a break or just stop and say, Hey, I found a new Nirvana. This is where I'm staying. Okay, because it's your journey. You get to do what you want. I just will still contend that even beginning the journey is beneficial mm-hmm. because it helps us to open our mind. It helps us to evaluate God, our place in the grand spectrum of life and who we are at our core and who we want to be. So I want to I want to take a second and back up because mm-hmm. we're talking about deconstruction and I don't know. Did we even define it? Uh, we have in the past. I mean, I don't. I mean, you tell me what's a good definition. I have something that I'll read that I think fits the fits the parameter of a definition. But you tell me first. What do you okay. think? Well, I mean, I, I would say that deconstruction consists of looking at anything in your life that is routine or structured in question. Definitely. But you are an author and you have actually <laughs> written on this topic. So let's let's hear from you. Um, how how do you define this? Well, I actually use something that I found in a book about deconstruction, basically, and it comes at it from a different perspective than I did. But I, I loved this. It's included in my book. It's quoted in my book. It says, "In a deconstruction, things are made to tremble by their own inner impulse, by a force that will give them no rest, that keeps forcing itself to the surface." forcing itself out, making the thing restless. Deconstruction is organized around the idea that things contain a kind of uncontainable truth, that they contain what they cannot contain. Nobody has to come along and deconstruct things. Things are auto-deconstructed by the tendencies of their own inner truth. So basically what that's saying is at some point in each of our lives, who have experienced what we've termed as deconstruction. Something happened, something was said, something occurred that flipped a switch, basically. We didn't go looking for these questions. We didn't go seeking them out. They showed up and they wouldn't go away. And that was my experience. Mine was a simple Bible verse and one that I had read thousands of times. And out of nowhere, one day, it refused to leave me alone. I had to understand it. What was and it? he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hmm. Very simple Christian concept. 
Jesus is the propitiation. He became sin. We became righteousness. But the question wouldn't leave me alone. How do I unbecome something that I never did anything to become? In other words, I've always believed I could lose my salvation. Uh The question came back, how do you lose something you never did anything to gain? If it wasn't me that did anything, if Jesus did it, how do I lose it? And so that started me down this road. And it was a very level road for a long time. It, It had some pitfalls. It had some stumbling blocks along the way. But it was pretty manageable until it wasn't anymore. But not because I wanted it to become that, but because it wouldn't stop. And like that quote said, it just kept coming. It had to be, it's uncontainable. In that quote there towards the end, Mm -hmm. you mentioned inner truth. Mm -hmm. And I really like that phrasing. Yeah. That there's something that happens that shakes the foundation of what, what you are used to, what you know, what you're comfortable with. Right. But through this journey, it's the real you. It's your inner truth that needs to shine. And it's almost as if things were hiding it. Yeah. And I I think, and and we'll go through a lot of this, I'm sure, in this discussion on power and on where we find our power and how that affects us spiritually and all these things. But the the idea is that the truth is in us. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Bible even tells us we have the mind of Christ. And so it's there. What covers it up, of course, is a lot of our own biases, a lot of our own experiences, a lot of our own familial history, our conditioning, all of these things that we can think about have a tendency to overshadow the truth that already lies within us. Now, in Christianese or in Christian language, we can call that inner truth the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Each one of us has the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, he often sounds a lot like us. Right. Because we have put our voice over the top of his, so to speak, mm-hmm. instead of allowing him to speak and us to listen and learn. And again, this gets into some very religious terminology that I'm quite honestly not very comfortable with anymore. But I do believe that the truth lies within us. What terminology? The Holy Spirit? Yeah, I'm, I mean, what, what, I'm at come that on, the Holy Ghost. <laughs> what are you talking about? This yeah, is I Jesus. was raised with all that. I was raised with all that. But I'm actually in a place and, and we'll get to talking about this. But I'm actually in a place right now where I'm not, I'm not sure about God. And I've been there for a while now. I want to believe in God and I, I hope there's a God. I'm just not sure that if he exists, he looks anything like what I've always believed him to look like. And I don't want to trust my own fallible understanding to something that seems so very important. Uh-huh. So I'd rather just be quiet on it. <laughs> Well, it sounds like deconstruction is very important to you because you continually are deconstructing. Yeah, I've been. I mean, doing if, you're, this... if you're getting to that point, we we right. we've come quite a way to get mm-hmm. there. I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, you and I have had this conversation before. I mean, I, this process has been ongoing for me for over seven years. Mm-hmm. So it's and you know, I would like to envision that at some point there's an end to it, but I just don't believe that there is. I, I think some of the questions along the way get answered. Or you become comfortable in the uncertainty of them. But I don't think you ever stop having the questions now. Because now you're, you know, you're awake. You're you're listening to the questions now. Whereas before, maybe you shut them down. And I think for a lot of people, 
we've done that. I've done that. Shut those questions down because it felt like it was an infringement on my faith and my faith demanded certainty. And so I had to be very certain of what I believed and not give on that because the enemy was trying to make me doubt. When in reality, doubt is very much a part of mystery and religion and, you know, all of these things. It's all a part of it. Yes, but it yet is. we've we've made it something ugly and it shouldn't be. And so we have to, I, I, I'm more comfortable now being in that place to ask those questions, even though there are days when I'm incredibly uncomfortable. Well, of course there are going to be days of <laughs> being uncomfortable. And I kind of feel ironic. We just finished talking about imposter syndrome. I feel <laughs> a little bit like a fraud in talking about this. Because, Why is that? Well, because I've tried to be strategic and <laughs> and really affiliate myself and, and network uh, with people in the deconstruction movement, so to speak. Especially after, right. especially with Fade to Gray and, and everything that we're doing there. So I talk about deconstruction issues frequently, like right. on, on the reg. Now, the team asked me, though, a couple weeks ago, Seth, what can you please tell us, you know, like one thing you've deconstructed? Can you just let us know like what it is that you've <laughs> that you've deconstructed? And the answer is not much. Uh, so <laughs> I like to talk big game. I see. But I have difficulty doing like it's happening. Things are falling apart around me, but like I'm still holding on. So there's also this realm of of difficulty letting go, even though, oh, yes. you know, you need to uh, given circumstances and, and the, that light being shown. Anyhow. Well, I think that's a difficult question, though. What have you deconstructed? Because it's not always a puzzle piece that makes sense in the right place. It, it just mm -hmm. doesn't show up that way. Oftentimes, there's just a, a, a feeling of, of dissatisfaction or a feeling of uncertainty and almost an, an, a feeling of anxiety that you're not quite clear where it comes from. A lot of times, that's how that shows up. And so, of course, we write it off as though, oh, that's probably something else. Like I have generalized anxiety disorder or I had, you know, I've had a stressful day and, and it's all this. When in reality, somewhere within us, there's a discussion beginning and we just may not be tuned into that discussion in, in its entirety yet. So I, I think you've probably deconstructed more than you know. If at the very least you're asking questions, whether the, you're vocalizing them or not, based on conversations we've had, I feel like you've asked a lot of questions. Well. And probably have wrestled with a lot of things. Oh, I've definitely wrestled. Yes. <laughs> I've definitely wrestled. I mean, I came out of the closet for heaven's right. sake. I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. That, that requires a certain level of deconstruction in and of Absolutely. itself. However, I am always reverting back. And it's not like I'm going to church or I'm doing quiet times or I'm in Bible studies or anything like that. Right. But there's, just, there's a part of me. That, that still hopes and still really wants it and struggles. So I, I think this is a valuable conversation. And I think just like imposter syndrome, we both can relate to this issue. Yeah, so kind of let's talk about power. Um, how yeah. do you, how do you define that? Well, I, I, I think, I think that you gave a very good illustration of that struggle just in the last few comments that you've made that, that I've wrestled with this and then I've gone back and forth. There, there is a sense of trying to find power within you in that, mm -hmm. in the course of that, you know, wrestling. You're, you're looking for, I guess, certainty. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we associate power and certainty together. They, that happens. But if I had to talk about power, I would say personal power. I like this definition. I have it written down. Personal power results from combining external power or the capacity for action with internal power, which is the capacity for reflection. And oftentimes we look at power as this very outward idea of being stronger than or more in control of something than someone else's. And real power actually involves much more than that. But on the very, let's start on the surface level of, of what power looks like. What does power look like to you? Because it's going to look different to each one of us. Well, I mean, let's just bait, let's break some things down. There's power and strength. Yes. I.e. lifting weights, becoming yeah. having muscles, things like that. There's that's power. You can be powerful in that regard. You can be powerful in your career, powerful within your position within a company or an organization. I would even further say that applies to powerful maybe in family relationships or even relationships mm-hmm. with peers. Um, I think that right. power is all about having that I was about to say upper hand, and I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd say that. Power is about being able to, to mm, dominate. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I'm just spitballing here. I think that's a really telling statement. Oh, do you? <laughs> I do. Well, I, domination, I do, I think, submission. Yes, I mean, yes. I'm, when I think power, I think the right. opposite, which is you're submission. thinking of forcing somebody. Yeah, you're forcing someone to acquiesce, basically. Right. And, and I think that probably that is an idea that comes to most people's mind when they're discussing power. But I think it encompasses more than that. True power, actually, as that quote said, involves that internal process as well. It's not just that external muscle or whatever, or you know, hierarchy of family relationship. It also comes from the internal of knowing that your power comes from the ability to care about other people and want the best, or your power comes from, I will control and demand things to be done my way. So we have to look at it and say, is power good or is it bad? Or can Can it be either one? Can I just one one really quick second? You triggered me. So I got to go back. I I got to go. (laughs) I I triggered you. I want to hear what you're going to say next. Because I, okay. I think it's good, but before I okay. go, they got to come back. Do it. Because you just talked about power through serving others. And you know who that reminds me of, right? Jesus. Of course. We were taught about that, right? The first will be last and the last will be first. You gain power through humility and submission. Right. Anyhow, just wanted to mention that. But no, that's but one that's version. that's valid. Right? Yes. That's one version. And you also then brought up the second one, which is well, the and, opposite. And again... Yes, but it's putting a value judgment on something. And and that comes from my perspective of what is valuable and what is not. So Mm -hmm. somebody else may see it entirely different. But yes, I perceive that as a good con, you know, a good contrast that I see that as a good example of power that we're using it for the betterment of others. For other people, depending upon their, their history or their experience, power to be in control of a situation because nobody else is capable is something that makes sense to them. And we, we might perceive that as bad, but to them, they're like, no, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so again, we have to be very careful with our terminology. And interesting, interestingly enough, going back to using the term deconstruction, that is the original idea of deconstruction. It was about unity of text and defi- and definitions of what we're talking about. 
you, the language that we use to describe something. Mm-hmm. And so, it, I mean, it evolved into something else, but that's the original definition. So it, as it pertains to this, when we're talking about power, if we deconstruct what power is, we have to come to some form of agreement as to whether, you know, what perspective are we looking at? And that can be a dangerous and dicey conversation because everybody has different ideas on that. Right. And if there's, if you're coming to this, to the table with different definitions, it's very hard. I mean, well, that's, I'm just saying common sense. But like if there's, if you have different definitions of power, it can impact relationships. It can impact your success in a company. It can impact all of those things. And so why don't we have a universal definition of this? Because we have how many billions of people? Yeah. (laughs) Who, again, are all seeing things through a lens of their own making. Their own you know? lived experience and their own. Exactly. I would, I would wager personal trauma. It impacts uh, it all. Very much so. Uh, absolutely. Especially um, for those people that would immediately have a negative connotation associated with power. More often than not, they've had an experience that has been abusive in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. Or they've had a domineering parent or a domineering spouse or, you know, any number. I mean, a domineering friend. I don't know. It can be lots of things that that give them that negative idea about a word, um, which is valid. Yes, it is valid. But let's let's further break this down in regards to the negative and the positive. Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at this, what are the real life implications based upon how we view this word? I mean, I I've already kind of illustrated a little bit, right, on on what those definitions could be, but mm-hmm. what is the on the ground? implications Mm, i'm not sure i mean i think it depends on circumstance Mm -hmm. like i said if if i'm involved in a a conversation with somebody who comes from a a background of you know physical abuse and i use the word power they may immediately react negatively right um, because maybe they don't have the power in that relationship or maybe they're the opposite maybe they're the one that does have the power in that relationship so to them it seems natural normal and okay you know, so again, this is a very delicate conversation as it pertains to the idea of the definition that we're discussing. I, mm-hmm. I think we have to be very cognizant in the conversation that we could be talking about several different perspectives. And, and so as we get into this conversation more, I, we have a couple different areas of where people find their power that we want to talk about. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next uh, several weeks. I think that we have to start with the most obvious and most basic one is that sense of powerlessness. What? That, that, that we have no power. <laughs> what? Um, yes. Powerlessness. <laughs> powerlessness. Okay. First of all, we're pulling material from an author by the name of Janet O'Hagberg. I just want to yes. throw that out. So yeah. um, in the next, over the next two months, you're going to hear us talk a lot around deconstruction, a lot around power and specifically power in organizations, but then applied psychologically to our right. lives and how we regard that in regards to our faith. But right. um, I want to just mention those books, Real Power by Janet yeah. O'Hagberg, The Stages of Personal Power in Organizations. And then she also took that, created a second book called The Critical Journey, Stages in the Life of Faith. And right. the first stage is powerlessness, which... Right. When I think of powerlessness, the f- two things immediately come to mind. One, I think of AA. <laughs> okay. We are powerless. 
right over our addictions right we need help uh that's what (laughs) comes up first and then the second thing i always think about in having worked on a crisis line before um is working with people who are feeling um hopeless helpless and essentially powerless now let's talk about how does this play out in organizations and then specifically in our relationship with god well, we're going to talk about that in the next episode oh, you're because right. we're still on our I overview. I always do this. <laughs> Guys, I honestly am very, very excited for this series. And as you can tell, I never handle... Uh, uh, jumping ahead. I never handle a f- the first interview well. I always want to just jump. <laughs> so yes, we're going to talk about powerlessness <laughs> Yes. in relationship to, uh, to God um, and even in organizations and to others. Absolutely. Um, and it's more applicable than we actually realize, uh, especially as it pertains to religious ideals. So we'll talk about that. Uh, the next stage we'll talk about is power by association. That one seems almost too easy to understand, but there's a lot that goes into that. So we'll get to that. Power by achievement, mm-hmm. which is, um, that's a big area for me. And I really had to push back hard when I first encountered that. I, I felt pretty, uh, pretty defensive about it in all honesty <laughs> and then we um, go into that might be a sign of pride oh it is <laughs> just want to point that 100 percent. that's that's I'll your cop. i'll cop that's to it. your ego yes it is we will also talk about the pow- uh, power that comes from reflection mm-hmm. power that comes from purpose and power that comes from wisdom uh, in the midst of all of that is a nice little phenomenon that Janet likes to call the wall. Mm-hmm. It's a pain in the ass. <laughs> That's my painful experience of it. It's a pain. So, <laughs> it's- so it's a wall and it's between the stages of reflection and purpose. Typically. Typically, yes. But basically it's a stopping point where people have, they reach a point and we'll go more, more into detail about it, but it's a place where you reach a decision. Do I continue on in my exploration of who I am and how I achieve my power? Or do I just determine to stay where I am? And the wall will look different for every person. It will be the impetus for the wall will be different depending on the person. But it is my personal contention that when I was, uh, when I was presented with this information quite a while back, this was in my life coaching certification when we got to the discussion on the wall, it was like my brain opened up and I went, that's deconstruction. Mm. That's where deconstruction really hits the critical mass. And w- so, and I can only say that for myself, but I really feel like that that's probably a, a more common experience, but people just may not have the terminology for it. But so we're going to be talking about that. And again, I think, as you said a little bit ago, we're going to be putting all of this back to the idea of our spirituality. How does it fit in with our religious ideals, uh, our spiritual life, and how how we deal with ourselves? And not only with the people around us, but with us in our quiet time with just ourselves. I'm going to be honest. I've not okay. read both of these books all the way through. Okay. That's all right. I've read up to the second stage. <laughs> and this is where... you were prepared for the recording. Correct. See? And now I, <laughs> I, I'm up to, to stage two. And I'm almost certain that is where I'm at, but it that really <laughs> has me concerned because with the power all, of association. Well, no, because I feel or as if I should be at a wall 
given how what's happening in my life and I'm identifying way too much with stage two. So I am <laughs> very eager to read on. Yeah. And, well, uh, let's let's come back I'm to this for a minute, else. though, mm-hmm. because here's the idea. And, and you you bring that up in a, in a very good time frame to discuss this. We cannot assign value judgments to these stages. What? That's not what this is about. They're not bad or good. They just are. Well, she talks about masculine <laughs> versus feminine in yes, here. Yes, yes. Listen, I know. <laughs> as a as a homosexual, I very much want to display and flaunt masculine traits. <laughs> so whatever I have to do to get to that stage, oh my goodness, I need to get there. Just be you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, as I said, I struggled when we got to power by achievement because, of course, as we get into that subject matter, you'll find out that a lot of times this is where you are you are finding power in becoming educated or, you know, writing a book or, or you know, creating content in some fashion. Anything that makes you feel as though you are contributing, you've ach- you're achieving. Mm-hmm. And we've, of course, had this conversation already as it pertained to imposter syndrome. Yep. That often we are constantly trying to achieve, to prove. And so this becomes a very big part of that conversation. I felt very protective of this and and defended it quite vociferously in the conversation that I had because I was like, I'm there and I I am getting my degree. I am working on all these things. And I put a value judgment on it that he was saying it was bad and it's not. Okay, so yeah, we need to talk about this because what is it? So it's it's the fact that he, that it's talked about negatively. Is that it felt negative to me? Yes. Okay, well then I have to read it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I want to unpack that because when he talks about it negatively, so for from your take now and again, I know we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but from your take, <laughs> he views achieving as a negative thing. He didn't. This was my instructor we're talking about. He did not view it as a negative. I perceived that he was explaining it as a negative. Okay. And when I brought that up and I got very emotional about it, he said, hold on, there's no value judgments on any of these. Mm -hmm. These are just places that we find ourselves. And for the record, these are places that you will find yourself over and over and over. Just because you've moved beyond powerlessness doesn't mean you never will feel powerless again. You will revisit these stages depending on the circumstance. So that's where I'm and at. so it's I was, all okay. I probably was at stage six, completely <laughs> mastered all of it. And now You've that I've started done. a new job, it makes sense. Uh. So yeah, okay. Now, now I feel much better because I'm sure once I finish this book, I will understand that I've been down this all the way. <laughs> multiple walls. I'm very fit. Yes, you've you've climbed the walls many times. <laughs> I actually that wall, I swear, it I likened it a, a few years ago my daughter challenged me to do a Spartan race with her. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, oh sure, I can do that, it's not a problem. And of course there's a lot of um it's a lot of running, but there's a lot of obstacles and stuff along the way depending on, you know, the size of the race that you enter. There's more obstacles in. But one of the obstacles is basically just an A-frame. And you climb up the A-frame, climb over the top, and you climb down the other side. It looks very simplistic. To me, my first thought was, this is going to be relaxation. <laughs> like, that's an easy obstacle. I can just do it. You know, <laughs> I get a rest from the running and all that. Until I started climbing it. Mm-hmm. And I got about halfway up. 
and my crippling fear of heights took over (laughs) and I couldn't move. Mm. And I literally, it took everything inside of me to finish that seemingly easy obstacle. It involved a lady sitting at the top who finally recognized what was happening, made eye contact with me and yelled at me the entire time to get my ass up and over that thing. And I did. And once I got over to the other side and started down, I was fine. But the going up was very difficult. It was when I started studying this, I went, oh my God, that's what my wall, my mental wall actually felt like, feels like, or felt like. It's terribly daunting, a little frightening. And a lot of times you may need somebody telling you to get your ass over that wall. So what, and again, we're going to talk about this obviously in future episodes, but what is it? Now, again, I think that's a good illustration. I can understand the fear of heights. I, that, yeah. I understand. Right. What is it in doing this wall in your psychological life, right? What is that fear? What is it that immobilizes you? And I, I know I'm going ahead, but this is good no, that's material. Okay. What is it that I, immobilizes honestly, you? I don't know that I can fully define it yet. And again, this will be different for each person mm-hmm. when you reach that. But as I said, it tipi- we, we talked about it typically happens between reflection and purpose to me, it, once we are entering into a phase of reflection, that may be the beginnings of deconstruction. That may be where the questions start forming and everything. And so we're, we're immersed into it slowly. Then suddenly we hit this wall. As I said, that wall is going to look different for each person. For me, I think, because I've been here for a while, I, I really do feel like that wall is, is there a God? And, and I'm struggling to get over that wall and make a decision. I, I don't want to decide too quickly that there is and then feel as though he's not who he should be. And I don't want to decide too quickly that there isn't and then give up hope that there that he was there. So I, I feel like I've been kind of trapped there for a while. I also have taken pretty much a mental break in this process and said, it's been enough for a while. Let me just let me chill out for a little bit just for my own mental health and right. probably for my family's well-being as well. <laughs> But so your wall is going to look different than mine. Your wall is going to be a different question than mine. A different boundary, a different thing that you're not sure you're ready to traverse yet. I already know what it is. I mean, oh, okay. I, I mean, I know I've only read up to stage two, but as we've already <laughs> it's identified, I've been through this a lot, most likely. And it, it mine's always in regards to identity. And, and, and I don't think that's unusual. And Yeah. And it's interesting because when you think about it, just based upon the word reflection, there's a sense of vulnerability that is required. Absolutely. Uh, you can't reflect without looking inward. And now if we want to talk about purpose, in order for us to have purpose, we must know who we are. And and that I can I can tell you already <laughs> that once <laughs> uh, once I go there again, I, I, I stop. In fact, I think I put uh, most of my deconstruction, frankly, I put it on hold. And I like to talk around it with all of these other people, but I put it on hold because I can't resolve that issue yet. And so I think this book, um, my hope is that this book and this series that we're about to do is going to kind of force that out, is my hope. But we'll see. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, you know, so this is an overview of all of that. We're going to get much deeper into this stuff as we go along. But I, I will caution and say that I think it's good to be hopeful for that. I don't know that it's realistic. 
(laughs) I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) Listen, I like my life transitions and changes to happen in five weeks. I don't know if you're aware of this. Yeah. No, all major (laughs) things in my life don't, they don't, it doesn't take a long time, just a few weeks. So it'll be fine. We'll get there. So basically, you have seasons then. Mm-hmm. So like, like watching a television series, you have a season. Yes. This will be resolved by the end of the season. Yes. We'll have a cliffhanger, and then it'll resolve, and we can move on to yeah. the next. And I'll be married uh, with a <laughs> with a house in six months. That's kind of the plan. I see. Mm-hmm. That's your plan. Okay. We're gonna get that. So a lot of pressure on this series then. A bit. <laughs> I'm feeling kind of sick to my stomach now. <laughs> of course, this is all joking. I'm just bringing up. I know. I'm I'm nearly certain. That's where I, where my wall is. And I'm always yeah. curious to kind of hear where other people find themselves. Yeah. Kind of. Well, it is interesting. And like stopping. I said, because everybody's journey is so different, you know, and we've, we've talked about this plenty of times, but the idea of our differing personalities, mm-hmm. uh, our differing familial history, our different indoctrination into religion, whatever the case may be, it's going to change the lens that we see life through. And so, of course, we're all going to come to a different place of questioning a different process for that questioning and possibly a different place, a a different stopping point. You know, it's funny. I I think back when I think back about the people that I know that I understand now deconstructed before me or started that process before me, many of them I went to church with and I can remember them telling me, you just need to learn what grace is. Mm, And because I was so very tough on myself and I was, I believed in a very judgmental God and so they, you just need to learn what grace is. They, you know, the, the top of their head had opened, the sun had shone in and they saw a whole new perspective. And so it was like, you just need to learn this. Well, then when I did learn that and my ideas went beyond that, suddenly they were like, oh, now you've gone too far, you know? And so there's it's this idea line. that, yeah. <laughs> so there's this idea that there's one process for this and there just isn't delving into it and recovering from it. There's no one process. There's no checklist for this. So everybody needs to give themselves a little bit of grace and mercy, enjoy the process of understanding and learning, and don't be afraid to ask questions because that's what we should be doing. That's how growth and evolution of a person happens. Mm-hmm. So that's my, that's my take on our overview of this. Anything else you want to add before yes. we dive into this on the next episode? Yes, there is actually. Okay. What is it? So I want to give a disclaimer around the word deconstruction because Mm -hmm. I do know it is triggering for a lot of people and I do know that a lot of people are sick and tired of it and it's a buzzword. However, I think it's very valuable and I think we need to have it. But why do you think people get caught up there? What, What is it that people are sick of hearing? I think that if you're not experiencing it, it's very easy to lose patience Mm -hmm. with hearing about it. So I think that's one aspect of it. Um, Another, I'll be very blunt. I think people are afraid. If they are, if they are witness at all to somebody questioning what they believe, especially about God, and they give any merit to a question, they now have to be, I think somewhere inside of them, it scares them that, oh, now what if I start questioning? What if I have to start changing my beliefs? What if I lose God? And they go down this road, you know, that maybe isn't their journey. And they're, and they're frightened. I, I also think that we also are very set in our ways. And so any threat to that is immediately something that we need to defend. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a bunch of different things that play into that, why people are turned off by that word. 
I think that it's. it's I mean, I think some people just don't care. I, I, well, there's that too. I'm sure. And the other thing, and I, you, I like that you mentioned this, but that they're not going through it. Right. 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 They're not going through it, and so if you're not going through it, th- it really can just be annoying. Because sure, because you don't have any basis to understand it. Basis to understand it, or you've maybe already been through it, or well, no, once you start, you can't stop. So, yeah. <laughs> I think I think also, like I said, if you have no basis to understand it, maybe you've only observed somebody using that word, and you've you've observed them struggling mentally or emotionally, religiously. You've you've observed this that you think, well, that's a nightmare. That's a negative. So you automatically create this negative assumption about a word. And so if it comes close to having to apply to you, it's suddenly a very negative situation. And yeah, I will admit, of course, my contention is that deconstruction is comparable to grief, a grief cycle. That's that's my doctoral work. That's my writing. So I, I get that. But I think that we can't be afraid of the process Especially going back to the quote that I read, especially if you have no control over whether it happens or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot, you know, this from studying psychology, there's a lot psychologically that goes on that we are not aware is happening. Correct. We don't get to always choose mm-hmm. how our brain works on something, consciously anyway. Right. And I also so, want to just mention there's a lot of different definitions for it, too. Like for, from people, just as we've already talked about. Sorry, I know this. I feel like we've already we just had a whole episode on this, but I want to just bring back <laughs> to that that <laughs> like really people have different definitions of this. It means different things, and so right. when you hear if like you get triggered by this word, my encouragement is listen to us just a little bit to find out to see if it's <laughs> the same thing as what you right. heard and you know, because I think right. you might be surprised. It might be different, so. I'm yeah, excited. Or maybe you, or maybe they just have a viewpoint that we need to hear. Maybe. I mean, maybe. I'm open to listening. I, I enjoy those kind of conversations. So what I don't enjoy is people telling me you're wrong and I refuse to discuss it. <laughs> I'm cool if I'm wrong, but let's have a discussion. So. <laughs> oh yes. Anyway. Anyhow. So there's so our overview. There's our overview. Please feel free to come back. You can check out Mental on the Fade to Gray Network as well as Mental Podcast. Um, we're on both feeds. And then also we have a Marco Polo community as well as a um, Facebook group. So please feel free to check us out. And uh, thank you for checking in. All right. So the next conversation is going to be about powerlessness and power by association. And then, of course, we're going to delve into how that affects us from a religious standpoint as well. This is the Recast. Parents go and they release the hellions with no manners, respect, or anything else onto this park. Welcome to the Recast. We're talking about being naked. (laughs) in the Bible, who always gets the shaft is the person following the leader. So for all you parents out there, it doesn't matter how you raise your kids, (laughs) they might just end up the opposite of what you taught them. Well, find us on Stitcher, iTunes, and iHeartRadio.